Wow, amen. Well, before we begin, I felt like we needed to have another greeting time like we did last week, but we're going to do something a little bit different. I know some of you, you know who you are, like to cross one end of the sanctuary to the next, all right? Let's just stand up and greet one another near you, those who are near you, welcome them, say hello, and if they're new to you, welcome them to our church. So go ahead, take a minute to do that now, greet those around you. Oh, hello. I've come the whole way across the sanctuary just because you said go. All right. Let us find our seats. Thank you. Thank you. If you are new here today, I want to say also welcome. Henry the puppet said welcome, but I also want to say welcome to you as well. Uh, we have a couple of things that I want to, to announce. Uh, some of you may know that uh, Wanda Gehring's dad was not in very good health, and uh, earlier, later this week, earlier this week, rather, uh, he passed away from this earth uh, to the next. And so if we could just take time to pray, and uh, we will pray for the family, and uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those hard times, so let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for Wanda, and we thank you for Lee, and we thank you so much for their service and love uh, to you, to this church. God, I pray that uh, you'll be with them as they mourn, that you'll give them the ability to, to mourn uh, so that they can be comforted, as you had said uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. So, Father, I, we pray for them now, and we pray that we'll continue to, to keep them in our thoughts and prayers, and that we can, together as a body of Christ, reach out to them. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, earlier last week, you might have noticed on Facebook, if you're following our Facebook, I had recommended that, that we uh, take the challenge of making sure we're out in the lobby, welcoming new people, welcoming people uh, into our church, whether they're new or not. And so I want to challenge you again with that, that challenge. And we're thinking about staff has been talking about developing a hospitality team where we're out there and we're making sure that people feel welcome. So if that's something that you're excited about, you love meeting new people, you love greeting people at the door, not tackling them, right, but uh, just saying hello, welcome to church. Uh, so if that's you, you can connect with me via email. If you look in the bulletin, my email's in there. It's pstrmarv at icloud.com. So just wanted to make that quick announcement, challenge you to take that challenge uh, so that as new people come in and even as, as people who have been here for a long time can, can feel welcome. So before we jump into the message, let us pray and we will dig into the book of John and we're finally in chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. I thank you for the time of worship as we were coming to your throne room experiencing your presence. I pray that that will continue. Father, I pray that as we open up your word that we won't just be looking for education, but Holy Spirit, we will seek after transformation, that we don't learn something new, but we become someone new. Father, for when we open up the word, we can be changed and transformed. We pray this now. Come, Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Now, I don't know if many of you know uh, Leonardo da Vinci's story. Leonardo da Vinci, some of you may know as, as the Mona Lisa, that, that that's what he painted. You know him as an, a painter. Some of you may know him as a painter and inventor. Some of you may know him as a painter, inventor, and anatomist because he was very into anatomy. What, whatever you know about Leonardo da Vinci is that you need to understand that he was a genius, and what drove his genius was curiosity. We're going to be looking at this curious pursuit in John 3, 1 through 13, the curious pursuit that Nicodemus had. But I love reading biographies. I try to read one a year because they can sometimes be really thick. And last year I read about Leonardo da Vinci, and it was a biography by Walter Isaacson. And, and he continued to talk about the curiosity that drove Leonardo da Vinci, that he was curious about anatomy. So he went after it, tried to figure it out. He used anatomy to make his paintings more real. And so you notice that he helped change the course of painting, of artistry. But some of you might not even know, but he pre-invented the helicopter. He pre-invented it. Now, it wasn't for hundreds of years that we would figure out how to actually make it go, but his mathematical connections to what a helicopter could do, the lift that it could bring, man, he invented it. And so it's interesting as we look at his curiosity and what he was able to accomplish simply because he was curious. Now, I want to challenge us with this idea of curiosity because curiosity develops progress and progress develops growth. And when we look at our relationship with God, when's the last time you were supremely curious? When you went after your curiosity and you pursued God with a curious pursuit where you said, I want to know more. I want to go after this. There's, there's got to be more. This curiosity that drives our spirituality. And I want to challenge us to look at that because too often we can be content with how much of God we have. We can be too content with how much of God we know of, how much of God we know about, and how much of God we know actually in a relational experience experience. Curiosity is important as we grow and pursue the Lord. So I want to say to us that this contentment can actually be dangerous. Contentment stifles curiosity. If we remain in that content place where we say, I have enough, I know enough, that's all I need, that's, that's it, I'm done. That contentment will stifle curiosity. And when curiosity is stifled, growth is stifled. Imagine if Leonardo da Vinci stopped being curious, the things that he invented, the anatomy that he uncovered, the reality of art that he went after, all of that would not exist. And so I want to challenge us to be curious, to pursue God with curiosity, with questions, because questions are not bad. And this story, as we look at the story of Nicodemus, is very familiar. Many people will look at this passage and say, oh yeah, this is all about the doctrine of regeneration. We can look and understand how a new creation, old creation becomes new. But there's so much more to this passage. There's so much more to, to understanding. There are two different ways of looking at the Bible. There's biblical theology and there's systematic theology. Both of them are key in, in to understanding what God is saying. Biblical theology goes after the history of the, of, the, of the scriptures. It goes after the story. What is the story about? What is the narrative? How does it connect to the rest of the Bible? Systematic theology looks at the scripture to unpack doctrine, to say this is what we believe. These are the doctrines that we stand for. Both are important. Today we're going to look at both sides 
of the coin of theology. And so the question I think that we can answer from this passage in Nicodemus is what are some keys to pursuing God? We've been talking a lot about pursuing God, knowing more, having a deeper intimacy with Him. And several people have come to me and said, well, how do I do that? What are some keys to, to go after God more? And I believe Nicodemus and Jesus in this story unlock some keys. It's not the totality of everything that we can do to pursue after God, but I believe that it is a good beginning, that we will see some keys at pursuing God. So if you'd open up your scriptures with me, we're finally, after nine plus sermons, we are in chapter three, right? We uncover the Bible. We go after it. I love the Bible. And there's these times where you just look at two verses and you can't move on. So I apologize, but I don't apologize. We're in chapter three, verses one through 13. Here's the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Wow. That's a huge amount of scripture. There's a lot of narrative that uncovers. Jesus says truly, truly a lot, which means listen to what I'm saying. This is important for you to get. Truly, truly. He didn't just say, hey, open up your ears. He was saying, this is so important. I'm going to say the word truly twice so you recognize how important it is. But Nicodemus, his story is intriguing, right? He comes to Jesus at night. Now, this is probably because he was a little bit embarrassed by his pursuit of Jesus. He was trying to hide the fact so he didn't get blown up by his Pharisee friends. But there was a contingent of people that were interested to hear more about who Jesus was. And so he comes and comes to Jesus to understand how he can be doing all of these things. And so we see a first, the first key that Nicodemus unlocks for us about how to pursue God. And that is that we must allow the power of God to lead us to the pursuit of God. Now, if you were here last week, you're saying, wait a second, didn't you say that pursuing after the power or understanding the signs, and when we go after that, that you said that that wasn't a good thing? Well, yeah, if we pursue the signs for themselves, but we should allow the miraculous things that God does to bring us to a deeper pursuit of God. 
You see, Nicodemus was one of those men who was hanging out watching Jesus do these signs. These guys were following after Jesus because he kept doing awesome things. They're like, wow, I want to see these awesome things happen. Nicodemus was one of those guys. Those men were content to just watch Jesus do stuff, but Nicodemus was tired of that. After a couple of days, he's like, I have to figure out how this is happening. Because there's no way that these things can happen if he's not connected to God somehow, that he was sent from God. We've got to dig into this. And we see in this passage that he says, we know. And that we was either a group of Nicodemus' disciples or another small group of Pharisees who were pursuing after understanding. Nicodemus allowed the power of God to lead him on a pursuit of God. And the power of God is still at work around us. God is still doing miraculous things. We should pursue him for who he is. To say, listen, God, you're doing incredible things. I need to come after you to figure out why this is happening, how this can happen. That should stir in us some kind of spiritual curiosity. Like, what is going on? How can that be? And we pursue after the Lord. I remember seeing someone miraculously healed of, of cancer. And this, this son who was not following after God at all, he began to question, how can this be? How is it possible that this healing can happen? And he began a journey of pursuit to try and figure out how that was possible. God is doing miraculous things, and the power of God should lead us to a pursuit of God. Don't allow it to pursue just the power or the miracles. May we pursue after God. Luke eleven nine thirteen 13 promises that pursuing God will always lead to knowing God. Pursuing God will always lead to knowing God. I'm not just talking about knowing about. I think sometimes we get those things confused. Actually having an intimate experiential relationship with God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. We allow our knowing about God to give us contentment. It's kind of like a Facebook friend. Right, And I've said this before, but it's important because you can have a Facebook friend that was from senior year of high school and you're like 35 years old and you can follow this person's life and you can kind of be a Facebook creeper right, and see what's everything. You can see what they're eating, where they're eating, where they go because they just put all this stuff everywhere, where they live, what, you know, what college they went to, and you could know a ton about this person. And when you meet with them in person, you don't really know who they are. You don't have a deep relationship with him. So much of Christianity is not pursuing God himself. It's pursuing information about him. That's not relational. That's not experiential. No wonder many people in the church have a weak faith. Because it's all about knowledge, not about experience. Not about real knowing but if you look at that passage in Luke 11, 9 through 13, it says how much more will you get the Holy Spirit when you come after Right? If you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you will find. It's a challenge. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Continually going after God. It's an imperative part of our belief. And Nicodemus began this journey. If you were to look at the life of Nicodemus, there is another Nicodemus that showed up at the resurrection. Many people, and myself included, believe that this was the same Nicodemus. His pursuit led him from pharisaical thinking to believing and following a Jesus who was resurrected and alive. Man, 
You and I should go after that same pursuit. Allow the power of God to pursue God. Curiosity can lead us to deeper knowing. So I think that leads us as we go to the, to the rest of this chapter, verse 2 and 3, where we see the scripture says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think we can see in this passage that knowing information does not equate to knowing transformation. Knowing information does not equate to knowing transformation. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, listen, we know. We have understanding. That, that Greek word is to understand. It's oida. It means we understand this stuff. My, my knowledge is, is there. I understand that you must come from God. And he's like, well, you know, how are you doing these things? What, what is your connection? He's wandering through. I know these things, but what is the connection between what you're doing and my knowledge? And Jesus just, he doesn't really answer the question. I love when Jesus does this. He just changes the subject. He's like, how do you do this? Truly, truly, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And now, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you ask someone a question and they completely ignore it and tell you what they wanted to tell you anyways. That's so Jesus right now. He's doing that. And this understanding, what he's saying is you might know, you might have knowledge. You're a Pharisee. You know the law inside and out. You had to memorize it as a 12-year-old. You get the law. I know that you understand, but you don't know. You don't know. This is something different. This is a different type of birth. It's not about your knowledge. It's about your experience. It's about true knowing of God. And this is what being born again is. It is being birthed into a new life, being birthed into a new understanding where it's not just knowledge, but it's your heart that's engaged. Knowing information does not equate to knowing transformation. Jesus was essentially saying one cannot experience the kingdom of God without first being born from above. A commentator named Kostenberger, one of my favorites on the book of John, he says, Not human observation, reasoning, and believing are required, but rather a spiritual rebirth. A spiritual rebirth. And we'll unpack what does that mean with the doctrine of, of regeneration quickly in a moment. But it's a spiritual rebirth. It's not just a knowledgeable understanding. And I think too often in the church as believers, we're content with just our knowledge of. We're content with our, just our knowledge about. We content ourselves with the fact that, man, I can look at all the facts about Jesus like I was his Facebook friend. I know it. I know what he said. I know what he did. I know what he ate. I know who he ate with. I know who he hung out with. I know what he was accused of. I know. I, I know. I, I know. But have you actually had that face-to-face Sit down, experience with the powerful presence of the living God where you feel the weight upon you, the holiness of God around you. Man, Isaiah, when he experienced that, he fell down as a dead man. He could not stand because the presence was so heavy. He saw God's utter holiness and his unholiness. Do we feel that? Do we experience that? Do we know that, that, that relational intimacy? Because if we don't, a key to going after it is not just looking at education. It's seeking transformation, to be someone new, not to learn something new. See, 
Nicodemus came to Jesus trying to learn something new. And Jesus said, I'm not even going to deal with learning something new. Let's talk about becoming someone new. Let's talk about becoming someone new with a rebirth. With a rebirth, someone new. Now, in the idea of regeneration, regeneration dismantles the power of the old self. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we can see that. That the power of the old self within the midst of regeneration is killed. And so with this idea of transformation, this idea of regeneration, becoming a new creation, and we'll see in Ezekiel that the heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, it is all throughout Scripture, this idea of regeneration, becoming regenerate, becoming a believer, someone new. What he's saying is all of this stuff that you've been about needs to die, and you need to come back to life as someone different. As someone different. Now, Nicodemus was really confused by this. Right? He's like, wait a second. Must be born again. How is that possible? Do I just go back into my mother's womb as a full-grown man? Poor mom, if that's what would happen. <laughs> I don't know why he would think that, but that's where his mind went. And Jesus was like, that's not what I'm talking about. You must be born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You see, this statement frustrated Nicodemus, but he didn't stop asking questions. The next key to the pursuit of God is to understand that curiosity seeks clarity through good questions. When you read the Bible and you come upon something that doesn't make sense, do you just go past it? You're like, oh, well, i got to read the whole book of Leviticus, and I have no idea what that means. But you know what? i just got to get through it, and i got to continue reading because I'm on a reading schedule. I can't, I can't stop and rest. I don't have a whole lot of time. I need to check the box. Yes, Leviticus done. Do you remember anything? Nope, I don't remember anything, but I read it. Right? Do you allow your curiosity to be piqued? When Jesus says things, are you sitting there saying, what does that really mean? The disciples were frustrated with Jesus all the time because he would say these really weird quips and he would say these parables that they're like, that does not make any sense. Sometimes they would say, Jesus, what does that mean? And then he would answer them. Sometimes they'd say, Jesus, what does that mean? And he said, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see. That's kind of frustrating. That's kind of annoying. But he did it to his disciples and he does it to you and me because he wants to see, will we continue to ask questions? Will we continue to pursue with curiosity that wants to know? Or are we just content to say, huh? I don't have ears to hear, I guess. I don't have eyes to see, so I'll just move on to the next thing. You can ask the Holy Spirit for ears to hear. You can ask the Holy Spirit for eyes to see. See, that's the power of the gospel. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you in all truth. The Bible is truth. There's got to be truth in Leviticus. What does it mean? What do these curious things mean? And we are just trained as Christians in a Western society to just accept it. You know, some people say, well, God's a mystery. He is. And we can never, ever figure out everything. But there are things that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. There are things that the Holy Spirit wants to draw you into a deeper pursuit of God himself. Are we asking the questions? 
Are we asking good questions? You know, no question is too outside of the box for God. God is a big God. He's got really big shoulders. He does. You can ask him anything. That doesn't mean he's always going to answer. He might give you a parable or he might give you a picture. He might give you an image. And you're like, well, I don't know what that means. And then you continue to pray and ask him what it means. Go after it. Pursue. Ask good questions. This leads me to another point. And that's the depth of our questions expose the depth of our relationship. How deep are your questions? Do they have depth? Are they real questions? Are they kind of surface level? Or are they going after something deeper? Are you afraid to ask those deep questions because A, you don't like the answers, or B, you don't know if God cares? Well, He does. He cares about every question, every doubt, every thought, every idea that you have, and He wants to be welcomed into that. You see, for example, my wonderful wife, Hillary, we're married for almost 13 years. If after 13 years I'm still trying to figure out her favorite color, and I ask stupid questions like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite model car? You all look at us and say, well, they don't really know anything about each other. We're, our questions, the depth of our questions, they expose the depth of our relationship. After 20 years, 25 years, one year, 10 years, however long you've been following Christ, are your questions deep or are they shallow? Let me challenge you, just dive into the deep end of the pool. You don't need floaties with God. Amen. But too often we put floaties on. And we hang out in the, in the shallow end of the pool. Man, there's so much more. What questions are you asking? Curiosity seeks clarity. We need deeper questions. You see, if we ask shallow questions, our relationship with God will become bland. It'll become boring. We'll become content. Listen, the Bible, church, your relationship with God should never be boring. It should never be boring. Now, there are people who will bore you as they speak. There are people who will bore you as they write. There will be people who bore you. Don't listen to those people. If you're bored when it comes to the Bible, someone is being wrong or stupid in their delivery or their conversation about Jesus because Jesus is exciting. The reality of the gospel is powerful, and we could never, ever fully comprehend it, but we should continue to ask good questions. We should never be bored. With the Lord. That dog will hunt. Never be bored with the Lord. That's a preacher's way of saying that's a good thing to say. It's not in my notes. Write it down. Write it down. Should never be bored with the Lord. Ask good questions. Get deep. Nicodemus was asking questions. He was revealing his ignorance. He's like, what does that even mean? How is that even possible? Jesus didn't look at him and say, that's a really dumb question. No longer can you sit by my fire. <laughs> no. He said, okay, let's answer that question. Let's go after it. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And we see that in, in four chapter or verse 4. He asked that question, how is this possible? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, you might look at that and say, well, he didn't really answer his question again. He's not really explaining it, but he is. If you put on your Jewish mind and you look at the Hebrew and you look at the the whole totality of Scripture, you will see that he was making it plain. Now, Nicodemus didn't catch it until after Jesus continued to have this conversation, but Jesus was making sense with the idea of regeneration. He was saying, regeneration is a work of the Spirit, not of the flesh. The Greek word Jesus used for again was the word anothen, which means from above. It can mean again or anothen, or or, uh, from above. And so what Nicodemus was thinking is that he was saying again, that you must be born again. But no, we must be born from above. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Your mom birthed you. That's flesh giving birth to flesh. But when you are regenerate, when you come to know Jesus, when you are changed and transformed, when your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, when your old self dies and your new self comes to life, that is being born from above. The spirit of the living God has now birthed you spiritually. Water and spirit. Regeneration is a work of the spirit, not of the flesh. Ezekiel prophesied that God would put that new heart within man. And why is that important? Because as Nicodemus is asking for more knowledge, he's saying, okay, I don't understand that. Give me more knowledge so I can have this rebirth. Give give me the knowledge. Let me understand with my mind how this can happen. And he's like, you can't understand it. It's a spiritual awakening. It's God bringing life, breathing life into your spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no amount of knowledge or God you can know about that will rebirth you. Regeneration works by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not anything that you can do. You have nothing to do with it. He was using this idea of birth because you had no control over your birth. You had no control. None. You were born. That was your mom. That was your dad. Done. You couldn't come out as an infant and say, I don't like them. Give me someone new. You had no control. The same is true about our birth in the spirit, that we don't have control. It's not about what we do to manipulate God to rebirth us. It's all about surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring new birth. It's a birth from above. The prophet in Ezekiel, verses 37, 1 through 14, saw a valley full of dead bones. But when he prophesied to the wind, the spirit came and gave the bones life. The idea of the spirit and the wind is through scripture. Water, fire, wind. Those are imageries throughout the entirety of the Bible for the Holy Spirit. Anytime you see those in the Old or New Testament, perk up your ears to the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. He's saying the spirit is like the wind. It goes where it wants. And he was giving an imagery of Ezekiel 37. Maybe many of you have actually seen that in the scriptures or remember that story. But he's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit breathed life. In this vision, I saw dead people come alive. I saw dead people come alive. Listen, God wants to do that again and again and again. I believe that this is also a picture of revival where people are revived. My friends, the American church is like dry bones in many places. 
The American church, the Western church, needs a revival to be breathed life into by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be excited about the gospel again, to live the gospel again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church should not be boring. But because there's dry bones every week, it becomes boring, and we are losing a generation because we don't live life excited about the gospel. We come in and we live a dead Christianity. The Holy Spirit wants to bring the wind of revival. Are you allowing him to breathe life into your dead bones? Because he wants to. He wants to bring life to the areas that you have deadened your heart to him. Those areas of boredom that you've allowed in your life, he wants to breathe life into them to give you excitement about the Bible, to give you excitement about the gospel. Where we want to wake up and we say, the first thing I want to do is read the Bible, to spend time with the Holy Spirit, to understand what he is saying. Allow the Spirit to give life to the dead areas in your life. Now, the idea of regeneration is a one-time thing. I don't want us to miss the reality of what regeneration, the doctrine, is. The doctrine of regeneration is that when we come to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave, we have a new heart. It happens. We are made new. Our old self is dead and our new self is raised, like the imagery of baptism. It is a one-time thing, but there are still areas that we allow to die within us. Some people say, wait, when I first came to Jesus, I was so excited. I told everybody about it. I was on fire. And then something happened. Well, that something is that you became bored. That something is that you became to look at the Bible begrudgingly. That something is that you allowed the spirit and the flame of passion to dwindle out. God did not change. And I heard someone say once a long time ago in, in Nyack, New York, as I was a pastor there, and I said, man, where's the passion? And they said, you know, every time we talk to a new Christian, we just tell them that's really good that you have that excitement, but, but it probably will fade. I thought, don't tell them that. It doesn't have to fade. That's what you could say. You're excited. You're passionate. That doesn't have to change. When it begins to change, do something different. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again and again and again. Man, we got to be excited about the gospel. When we live lives that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we're living the gospel, when we're excited about the gospel, people will take notice. They'll understand that something is different. They'll see the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church, and we'll change a community. We'll change lives for the glory of Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Him. Allow the Spirit to give life to the dead areas of your life. We can have dead areas, and we need to allow him to fill them. In verses 10 through 12, we can see the final key that we'll bring today is that there is so much more to God than we can imagine. There's so much more to God than we can imagine. Look what he says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he knew about everything there was to know about God. We don't know how old he was, but we know that he was a teacher, a rabbi, and a Pharisee. I mean, he loved the law. He loved the knowledge of God. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, there it is again. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, you barely have any clue at all who God is. You've used your whole life to study, to look, to understand. But here I am, I'm telling you the testimony of the living God about becoming new, about becoming someone new, about transformation, and you're looking at me like a deer in headlights. I'm sharing with you from the book of Ezekiel things that you've known, that you should understand, that you should capture. And he's like, you're not. You know a lot, but you really know nothing. Wow. I think that if Jesus were to talk to us, myself included, and we came to him on the fireside and we asked these knowledgeable questions, he would say, listen, you know nothing. There's so much more. There's so much more to God. Now, I know I've shared this illustration before, but it's so powerful, I can't get it out of my mind. A.B. Simpson, and later A.W. Tozer would repeat this, A.B. Simpson said that we imagine ourselves, we are like a bottle floating in the middle of an ocean. That we can be full of the water that's in the ocean. We can have our bottle overflowing in this incredible ocean. But are we content to just be a bottle? They, they both said this, this idea of the illustration that we can ask God to expand our capacity. Where we don't have to be a bottle. We could be a, a boat. We could be an, an ocean liner. We could be huge and we can be filled then with the Lord. But guess what? You're still in an ocean. No matter what thing you can conceptualize that's big enough to, to, to match your desire of how much you want of God, you're still in an ocean. You still have no clue. You don't have any touch of nearness to the reality, to the mystery of who God is. But so often we're content to be a bottle floating in the ocean, half full, maybe all the way full. But there is more to God than we can ever imagine. He said to Nicodemus, you just don't get it. I can't even tell you the bottle-sized things. How are you going to capture the ocean liner type things? Man, let us go after that. Let us go after that. Some people say, well, if, there's, if, if God is such a mystery and you could never know enough about him, why even go after it? If you're never going to achieve the goal. You see, there we go again with a, an American mindset. There has to be an end game. The end game is knowledge of God experientially and relationally. I could never plumb the depths of mystery of my wife. Neither of, none of you men can. But I still want to know more about who she is. I want to experience her in, in so many different ways relationally to get to the bottom and the depth of the mystery, but it will never be enough. But I still want to because I love her. And that's the same way we should pursue after God. We should ask for a holy discontent within our hearts saying, I just don't know enough and I want to know more. I want to live in this curious pursuit to go after him. Nicodemus allowed the power of God to give him a pursuit of God. And he went after him and he knew Jesus relationally and it transformed everything in his life. He became a new creation Maybe you're not a new creation yet. You're not regenerate. Then go after it. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Believe in Jesus. Allow him to save you from Satan's sin and death. And if you are regenerate, you're a believer in, in God, and you have dead areas in your life, man, allow him to breathe life on your dry bones. Maybe it's doubt or fear. Maybe it's a false conception of who you are or of who he is. Allow the Spirit of God to breathe life. Finally, be curious. Ask deep questions. Don't be content and allow the Holy Spirit to revive the dead areas of your life. Never. 
be satisfied with the amount of God you know. Because there is so much more that you can't even imagine. Let's pray. Father, you are good. <laughs> Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, the, the gospel in a relationship with you is exciting. It should be passionate. We can have intimacy with the living God who created all things. He wants to be intimate with us, to know us relationally. God, I pray for a holy discontent in our hearts that we will pursue more, that we'll live in this curiosity to go after more and more and more of you. In your name, amen.